You're listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast, brought to you by Web Profits, where we share inspiring stories of real people who've succeeded in the marketing and business world. Today, we interview Sarah Liu, founder and managing director of the Dream Collective, a corporate training organization that empowers women leaders and encourages diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Sarah is an international thought leader, speaker, trainer, and facilitator on next generation leadership, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. We talk about unconscious biases in the workplace, women in leadership, and why companies need to embrace diversity to drive growth. So let's get into it. Alex, how are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, Tony. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm very excited today, actually. And one thing I love doing is actually traveling around the world. And if I was going to ask you one question, what's your favorite place, being being the tech guru that you are, what's your favorite place to travel to on the planet? Because a quick side note, so Tony preempted me to say Silicon Valley. Really, Alex? Well, it, because that, people who know me will know that wouldn't be the place which will, that is my favorite place. It I is. I definitely like going there. I'm definitely inspired by it. <laughs> I think my favorite place is like like Mykonos or something. Sure, Silicon Valley is what I heard. And what I'm really <laughs> excited about today is we've got Sarah Lewin today from the Dream Collective. Now, Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Tony. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's great to have you on board. Now, Sarah, you've just come back from Silicon Valley and I actually saw you do a talk uh, not long ago and it was it was called, you know, your learnings from Silicon Valley. Which That's is, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd be really keen and interested to, to know that. But I'm just going to go through your little, uh, your portfolio at the moment. You are the managing director, you're an entrepreneur, you're a speaker and you're a passionate advocate for women in leadership and also diversity. Now that's pretty extreme. I've got to ask, how old are you, Sarah? So I'm actually 33. You're kidding me. You have written three books as well, right? That's right, I have. Yeah. And we are actually in preparation for the fourth one. Wow. Yeah, for release next year. That is amazing. That That is really, really inspiring. And and listening to you as a speaker, I've got to say, you are a beautiful speaker. You're so well art- articulated and you just got out there and you had, you, we were there for 30 minutes listening to your story about, you know, sharing your story about what happened in Silicon Valley. And you had everybody on the edge of their seat. Oh, that's good to hear. Thank you. It's always reassuring. <laughs> and it was early in the morning too. Um, right. And so I was super um, excited, it's not the right word, but I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. This and is I really think, good. And I think that's exactly right. I think if you're not having fun, then people are not having fun. So I think it's very much about just being relaxed and, you know, share things that are actually genuinely interesting to myself as well. And I'm sure, you know, that'll be the same for others. Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to find out today. Now, Sarah, tell me about your story. How did you become the managing director and, and the founder of the Dream Collective? How does that story come about? So I actually come from a background in marketing and branding. And um, um, throughout sort of my career, I've always been quite ambitious and wanted to climb the corporate ladder very quickly. Um, and throughout my journey, I was confronted by the lack of development opportunities for women. Right in business. Particularly, I think in that early to mid career stage, I found that a lot of the development opportunities happens in that executive level. Mm. But quite frankly, unless you actually work with a pipeline of emerging female leaders, we won't see the landscape change. And if you only invest in that top end, it's too late. So what are some of the unconscious uh, biases? Because I think this was the thing which I started to really understand is the things which you can't see. Yes, absolutely. That are there. So yeah, it's, that's Expand right. on that if you uh, could. So um, I might just quickly talk on, for example, the four um, biases that's mm. most prevalent to women in the workplace. Number one is likability bias. So likability bias is when um, success and likability are positively correlated for men 
and negatively correlated for women. Mm-hmm. So a successful men are more likely to be liked, whereas a successful women, the unconscious bias is that people tend to find them less likable, you know, mm-hmm. more intimidating, and therefore it creates, you know, a misperception in the workplace. Across both genders. Across both genders, yeah. So successful women are not liked by both men and women. Wow. By women as well. By women as well. That's what, right. What is, why is that? I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it goes back to, you know, behavioral science and all that. I think, you know, and that when it comes to unconscious bias, um, we all have it. You know, mm. And it's actually not possible to remove it because human, you know, even when it goes to as early as, you know, the Stone Age days, mm. you know, um, hunter-gatherers, we as humans need to make decisions in a split seconds, mm. you know, and that's based on assumptions, filling in the gaps, past experiences informing current present decisions. So we all have unconscious biases, but when it, when we translate that into the workplace, it starts to have a really negative impact on certain demographic mm-hmm. and women being one of them. What, what did that do for you, for an individual mm-hmm. who wanted to climb the corporate ladder, be the best version of yourself and make a difference on this planet, but you couldn't actually get through there? What, what impact did that have on you? Um, I think for me, it's not necessarily that I felt I couldn't get there, but actually a sense of how much harder I need to be focused on getting to where I need to get to. Um, I managed to channel it in a very positive way, which is great. You know, I stayed focused on path and, you know, turn that into a positive energy in terms of creating yeah. a business that will help, that will propel other young women forward as well. Yep. Did you have a mantra or did you have, um, what did you do to get through that? Because everybody's got a different strategy on mm-hmm. how you push through. I think um, for me, it's always believing in yourself because the more you believe in yourself, the less you need others to believe in you. And I think, Yeah, but how do, yeah. You, how do you believe in yourself when mm. you've got so much doubt thrown against you? I mean, like yeah. you, you got self-esteem and then you're just getting it knocked out, knocked out, knocked mm-hmm. out all the time. So yes. where do you find that? I think there's a couple of ways around doing that. One is having a bit of a support squad around mm-hmm. you. Um, surround yourself with um, not only role models, okay, who's been there, who can encourage you in a very meaningful way, but actually surround yourself with, you know, partners, with friends, with colleagues mm. who share similar values and can support you. And I feel that's really important um, because once again, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. So if they are naysayers, then mm-hmm. that's the route you're going to go down. But if they yeah. see the possibility, they have been there and they can coach and support you through it, I feel that makes a tremendous amount of difference. Yeah, nice. And that's where the Dream Collective can help, right? And this Correct. is a plug for the Dream Collective, but this is actually there to support women and actually have a good support network around? Uh, that's right, is yeah. That so right? that's where so we very much started as a sort of collective and, you know, women getting together. We run, you know, workshop and seminars. Yeah. But um, since it has evolved into more of a B2B um, diversity inclusion consultancy, because yeah. what we found is that it's no longer enough to just empower and equip women, getting women together. We do work with businesses to actually actually change the landscape, yep. change the way we hire, to change the way we promote women, to change the way we retain women in the workplace. So um, that's why over the past um, you know, years, we've started working with businesses such as you know, Google, you know, Adidas, you know, Lego, to help them attract, retain and advance women in the workplace. 
Yep. And how receptive are they to this? Sorry, Alex, you were, you were just about to jump in. No, because yeah. I just remember she said they were basically um, the four the, pillars. We've got to one. Yeah, we yeah. Got I, to the first pillar, I know, and I was like, because I don't <laughs> want to forget to finish it because I don't want to get some comment that's on what social media and say, "Hey, you cut her off after <laughs> yeah. the first pillar." You're such a typical male. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm just excited, no, no, Alex. What I've done is in, in preparation that I actually wrote down there's four. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and we've only hit one. Yeah, just want so to make we'll sure that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so what, what were the other pillars? <laughs> yeah, because so the first one was likability. That's right. Yeah, and the second one is performance evaluation bias. So performance mm. evaluation bias is where um, men are more likely to be evaluated on future potential, and women are more likely to be evaluated based on past performance. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, for example, a man and women are going for a job, even though neither of us have had the experience. You know. Operating in that capacity, it's more likely for people to go, oh, to see a man and go, you know what? I actually think he has got the potential. He's got mm. what it takes. Whereas it's more likely for them to see the women and go, actually, you know what? Like she hasn't got the experience and mm. the evidence to prove that she can do the job. And once again, it happens for both men and women as well. So we see that, you know, actually translating in some really salient stats where women will only apply for a role when she probably um, fulfills 90% of the criteria. Whereas right. men are more comfortable putting themselves forward for a position when they um, tick the boxes, about around 60%. Sure. So how, how do we change the, change the landscape on that? Um, so I think a couple of really practical ways is one, um, making sure that our the language used in our job ads are more inclusive. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, language is like a must have 16 years of experience. If this person has 15 years and a half, are you going to reject it? You know, so it's making language a bit more inclusive, right? And making it more value and culture driven, you know, um, and output, you know, driven rather than past track record performance. So highlighting on what you need this role to fulfill rather than what you need this role to have done. And it's not just like a gender thing. It's actually, it just helps us attract the best and the more diverse talent possible. So one of the things that we did here was, this was after last year's International Women's Day. Um, we had the senior women in our team actually have a look at all of the job ads, mm. make sure that it spoke to them as well as nice. to the men. Mm. Um, because sometimes we had like some templates that we had from mm. a, a couple of years ago. And so even though the women are the people that actually um, have posted those ads, mm. maybe they weren't mm. speaking mm. the same to women as to men. And so we made some updates. Um, I'm not quite sure actually how much that's changed, but I could see the difference in how the language was written. Yeah. Um, it was a bit more about the experience and mm. it was less about the stuff. Yes. You know, and yeah, it was exactly. like, it was quite interesting. I was like, hey, that still says the same exact same job role, yep. but it sounds a lot more positive. Like it was weird. It was exactly, like, it was exactly. kind of hard to put. That's right. So all that is the unconscious bias that is really hard to actually pinpoint, but in fact creates a huge difference. So, um, you know, you know, our client Google and you know some you know uh, startup actually have created um, basically a system to try and remove biases in job ads. You know, yep. um, it's almost like an autocorrect, you know, yeah. mechanism um, that you can have. Sure, they've but got some software that does that as well because they Google. They're like, no, 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 we'll get the AI to do it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like in, in when we look at Google and Facebook. Facebook, you'd like to think that they've moved with the times mm. where, where they would have 
uh, chosen different ways of employing and recruiting staff and whatnot, so wording, but they're actually looking at just now of mm. changing their, like a couple of organisations that I've worked with was uh, with government organisations mm. where we're looking at um, like uh, it's um, state, uh, uh, New South Wales Transport, where they're looking at having 50% of women in management by 2024 and then the changes that they've gone through. And I think it's quite positive for a government to actually support that. And if you have a look at Labor as well, Labor's got 50% of um, their benches all females as mm. well to get that a, a different, so it, there is a shift happening there, but I'm surprised that Google and Facebook mm. need to shift as well. I thought they would have already jumped on board. They are, um, mm. and they're very progressive and very mm. advanced in that space, but they are at that next level where they're thinking, well, firstly, they actually have very much harsher target for themselves, you know, yep. compared to the, the, the rest of the industry. But the second thing is that they are now at a place where they are thinking, how can we lead the way? Yep. How can we drive thought leadership in that? space mm -hmm. doing well ourselves is no longer enough how can we change the industry and that's why you know we've sort of come together to you know create some initiatives and contents and to support different businesses mm -hmm. um to develop thought leadership in that space nice okay so that's number two mm. now we're gonna get on to number three <laughs> no, I'll it. Yeah. i've got this <laughs> yes and the third one is performance attribution bias mm. so what that means is um, men are more uh comfortable attributing success to internal factors and women are more comfortable attributing success to external factors. Mm -hmm. So for example, how that plays out in the workplace is a woman gets promoted. She's like, oh, I have a supportive boss. My team was great. Yep. Everyone else but me. Whereas a man is more comfortable owning that success saying, well, you know what? I actually worked my ass off. Sorry, can I say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. Sarah, you should hear me off the mic. Yeah. That's a, that, that is so PG okay, right now. Right. Yeah, no, that's a fine one. Okay, Just right. it's Tony that's not allowed to say anything because it's a slippery slope. It is. Yeah. It's because as soon as I let the first one go, that's it. It's yes, it. that's right. So I will send that's right. myself. Yeah. So, you know, um, men are more comfortable owning their success and saying, hey, you yep. know, what? I worked really hard for this promotion and I'm really glad that, you know, my my um, uh, contribution is recognised. So yep. what, what that means, and this is not to tell women to go, hey, from now on, like, don't be a team player, don't attribute mm. success externally, but I still find that balance because if we constantly if we continue to not own our own successes, then people can't recognise it, you know? Yeah, and that's a real challenge. I, I, and I'm, I'm going to go from, from a, a DNA um, perspective here. Mm. Uh, females are, are natural nurturers, which means they'll look after others, they'll love her. And uh, like, you think of mums, like my mum, like she's the best person on the planet. She brought my, myself up, my sister up, and she put up with my dad. Mm. And she's never taken credit for that. Mm. Right, but you know that she's the backbone of it. And I see females in, in the workplace do exactly the same. They do so much. They put their heart and soul and they'll give credit to everybody mm. else. And, and themselves. Yeah, and then, and then whereas dad, dad would come home and tell us how great he was, how much money he earned, <laughs> um, how the family would be nothing without him. And it just goes on and on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So now we're going against almost, and I don't know if this is a condition thing or if we're actually naturally programmed like this as human beings mm. to be one way or another. So you're actually asking females to maybe go a little bit against the natural way and say, hey, let's take some credit for the good work that we've done. Mm. So how do you do that? Because it, I find that quite intriguing. Well, actually, I think firstly, 
let me just qualify that we're not trying to pit men against women. Like it's not about sort of highlighting the difference, no, 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 but no. about sort of acknowledging and embracing the difference. Yeah. I think as much as it is for women to go, hey, you need to start owning your success a lot more. It's also for the men um, or women, like female managers to understand, to go a little bit deeper sometimes. When, for example, if I have a team leader who performs really well, mm. but is not owning their success, you know, how do I support them in their development to claim and to own that success a lot more comfortably? Yep. Because the reality is when you have a senior leadership executive roundtables, you know, reviewing who's going to get promoted, they're not yep. going to look deeper. They're just going to remember the last conversation they had with someone who yep. says, hey, I did all that versus someone who they don't know if contributed to mm. the yep. end success. So I think it's not about going against the nature or going against the grain um, necessarily, but it's more around having a more balanced conversation around mm -hmm. for both men and women to yep. acknowledge the teamwork well done and also to make people aware of your contribution in that success. And so systemizing the performance process, yeah, the mm. performance review process, mm. that's a way that's that right. systemically a company could do it, right? Yes. Because the one way is that you just trust everybody will try their best, mm. but that's going to be more fallible mm. than, say, for example, actually having a process yeah. that will ensure yes. as equitable – that's right. And just review as possible, right? Exactly. Mm. And just consideration sets, you know, so yep. this is very much for a message. For, I mean, for not just the men and women, but actually for business leaders to go, hey, as we evaluate um, success, you know, can we make sure we always look at the external factors and the internal factors? You know, how, how do we get people to feel comfortable with that? And, and I get that because I, I agree with what you're saying. Alex. You go through that process and then you go for your, your performance reviews, whatever you may be. But now that individual has to actually get comfortable mm. With saying, "Hey, I did okay. I did this really well." How do, how do you go with it? Because that's another ball game altogether. It is. It is, yeah. and that's exactly what our programs are designed for. You nice know? segue into that, isn't it, Sarah? Do you like how we do that? I didn't I even know that. I know we didn't <laughs> even plan this. <laughs> that wasn't even scripted. This is not on these notes here. All right. That's right. And these are the kind of things that you can't even script it because yeah. that's the reality that we have so much insight into. Yep what will help a women um, succeed in the workplace and what will help businesses build a diverse and inclusive space. So yep. we've actually designed our program to actually really support women, especially in that early to mid career stage to really owning their success. Yep. So it's about, you know, um, one like practically giving them some tools and languages and sort of, you know, assessment metrics to help them owning that. Yep. But also in terms of building um, confidence around um, having courageous conversations yeah. So some really practical tools where people will come in and also understanding the value of it. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people feel, why should I own my success? You know, women tend to think, oh, am I just bragging? But it's not bragging if they are facts. You are simply That's sharing right. facts with people. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. motive is not to get a promotion or make yourself look fantastic. The, the motive is because you wanted growth within the team or you wanted Correct. something like When you go into, so when you identify their values or their strengths, especially with females, do you find that there's there's always either values of family, community, connection or things like that, whereas a male might be something like... I actually think as long as you're a human being, you know, regardless yeah. of a gender, those are the core. You know, yeah. I have yet to come across a man, a male manager, a male leader to go, you know what, family and, you know, community is not part of who I am. Yeah, but, but what you're saying, and you identified it quite well before, I think um, males can tend to be... Mm superficial so when you ask first us on their their leadership values they'll go 
it's strength and it's leadership and, and it's, you know, it's all these things like being part of the military and, and yeah. leading my team forward and blah, 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 and all these uh, power, um, positions of power or authority mm-hmm. that uh, where their values lie. But I, I absolutely agree that as human beings, our true core values is yeah. connection and community and, and love, yeah. really. And I think you've touched on a brilliant point because that's in essence what diversity and inclusion is. It's not mm. about like, you know, women or gender necessarily, but actually how do we give men more permission you know, to mm. embrace other qualities and other strength that they, they have. Yeah, you know? look, yeah. I, I remember I many moons ago, I actually did a course as a lifeline counsellor. So um, as I was doing it, and one of the most interesting thing was we were sitting down, we were doing training as, as counsellors and the, our teachers goes, we're going to talk about fill statements now. And I, I think there was three guys there and the rest were all females, about 16 females. And the three, the three of us looked at each other and go, what's a fill statement? And the teacher goes, you're going to talk about how you feel about oh, certain feel things. Feel statement, yeah. not feel. I yeah. was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about emotions. Mm. And for us men, we struggled with the concept of talking about I feel like this or I felt that or whatever. We will always talk about I think of this, I thought of that. And it was it, for us, it was such a struggle. So what you're saying, there's also training in there for, for males as well 100%, to, yeah. to, to bring it back in. So I was, because we operate globally, you know, I was actually not long ago in Japan actually mm. activating a training on gender equality and diversity for 40 Japanese male directors. Right. Yeah. And that was a fascinating experience. But once again, it's also just about opening up the conversation. You yep. know, people talk about how women can't have it all, but the reality is men can't have it all either. Mm-hmm. Any individual who wants to actually pursue a certain level of success in their workplace make sacrifices with their family and vice versa. So the sacrifices for everyone. So I think we really need to, um, the healthy conversation when it comes to DNI, diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. for us to have is including men meaningfully in that equation as well. Can we, can we get to diversity in about 17 minutes? (laughs) Because I want to get onto pillar four. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I'm really intrigued with diversity and we've Mm -hmm. spoken about this before, Alex. I mean, like, um, actually I open this up every time. I'm going to come back to it in 17 minutes <laughs> let's but, go fill I know, but, I mean, everything that he's we joking about the 17 <laughs> minutes by the way so if you listen to this podcast that's i mean you right. can see how long it's left <laughs> that's right that's but the reality <laughs> is actually you know everything that we've talked about so far has been in the realm of you know diversity already yeah. um the fourth pillar that um you know i want to talk about is maternal maternal bias Oh, so what maternal bias means? You left this to four. Uh, I'm glad right. you didn't open this one up because we, well, I'd be stuck. Because I'm such a yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. such a big fan of this conversation. And yeah, yes. Go so for it. what maternal bias means is that when women enters motherhood, mm. there's an automatic assumption that they're going to be less committed to work. Mm. When the same assumption does not happen for men when they enters fatherhood. In fact, I think. You know, from what I've seen, people assume that men are now going to work harder because they've got a family to support. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the bias goes the other way. But um, what a means. That's so interesting. That does sound yeah. true. You yes. know, that does sound like something which. Yes. It, it, it does, but it, there's not BS sound like to that's it. what it is. Yeah. It just sounds like that is like a bias that happens out there because that yeah. kind of whole thing of oh. like, oh, well, now that's right. it has to to make more money exactly. to pay for the children yeah. or something the like that. The research is ridiculous on it. Sorry, yes, so. so I think, you know, whilst we might sort of look at it and go, oh, yeah, like it sounds quite benign, how it translates in the workplace is, for example, when a woman returns from maternity leave, mm. the manager might actually, from 
well well intended, okay, probably, but might decide to actually take her off, you know, projects that requires travel, mm, that requires yes. more intense work hours, etc. Assuming that they're going to be less committed to work or giving her smaller accounts, and that's the things that we see. Um, it's like a demotion. Uh, pretty much, that's yeah. right. Um, and you know, what? we're not saying that you know every you know women like everyone wants to you know continue a trajectory of becoming a CEO. But mm. what we're saying is that we need to be mindful that this bias you know exists, yep. so that we need to have conversations and we need to have transparency around understanding each individual's desires, um, career appetite, and aspiration when they come back. Instead when, of having that assumption, right? Correct. So, yeah. it's, so the thing about unconscious bias is that it's okay that we all have them. Okay, there's nothing yep. wrong with it because that's how humans need to make decisions and that's yep. fine. But what's not fine is if we leave it as it is and not have conversations around it. So yep. all that is around unconscious bias is that we need to be aware that we have those biases yep. and those four biases in the workplace specifically can hurt a woman's career very significantly. I, I think not only females, but males as well. Correct. Because Correct. we're moving, we're, the, the society's moving, the world's moving. We want to be more united. We, we, we actually respect each other, each other's roles and we understand if a job's got to get done, it's just whoever can really come up and step up to the plate. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. Mm. It doesn't matter what country they come from or, or anything like that. I think I'm, I'm quite excited with um, uh, Gen Z coming through now and, and they're more diverse. They're more mm. gender included. And, and it's really, really a nice – but I think it's for the guys like my age and, and past it, the, the ones that could be struggling. I mean, I was quite lucky growing up in a liberated family, like mm. mum and dad always said, you know, a woman's just as good as a, a male, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and it was quite good even from a cultural perspective as well. So I was quite fortunate in that sense. But I know there's a lot of people out there that struggle mm. with these four pillars that you're talking about, the unconscious bias, and it's so deeply ingrained. So at Dream Collective, do you actually – especially in Japan, I was going to ask you – did you notice there was a cultural difference between males in Japan and also in Australia? Or, or yes, absolutely. Mm. I uh, I think cultural differences is definitely there, and I mm. think the social conditioning and all that is real and prevalent. Um, I think Australia is a lot more progress um, when it mm. comes to you know just the perception and the sort of social hierarchy of men and women. But it's really interesting you asked about the differences because having operated across the region, what we found was that there are actually more similarities than differences across ah. the region when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Because mm -hmm. I think ultimately the human need, okay, to be included mm. and the fact that unless you include people, okay, mm. your workplace, people, unless you can have an inclusive environment, people can't actually thrive in that environment. That's so correct, yeah. what you get as a business is always going to be maybe 60% at best, mm. you know, to its full potential. Yeah. So once again, all that is actually very universal. It's interesting as well because outside of um, the inclusion part of making sure that everything is kind of as fair as possible across all the genders, um, it's actually helpful to the business's success as well. I mean, I remember at um, the talk at the Growth Marketing mm -hmm. Mornings, mm -hmm. you had a few examples mm -hmm. of kind of how some companies mm -hmm. had just got it so wrong. Absolutely. You know? And yeah. so actually this can help success in I mean, t t terms of the business as well. So like, are you able to just 
talk about um, a couple of those examples sure. because I think you know, they hit it on the head. I was like, oh, wow. You know, I didn't even consider that that would be That's right. a context. Is, is this the favourite place you like going to, where you like to travel to? <laughs> Silicon, Silicon Valley? Valley yeah. yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, I'm really glad you brought it up because um, that's the thing around diversity and inclusion. I think in Australia, it's being very much um, kept as a bit of a oh, HR side issue yeah. whereas it's not it's a business issue it's mm. a diversity and inclusion is the only way in fact we can actually feel and drive growth and innovation and i'll provide a couple of examples wait before we get that can we define what di- um, diversity and inclusion is just so we're very clear on that yeah, yeah. so diversity which is diversity in terms of diversity of you know gender making sure the workplace mm-hmm. um, is represented you know yep. so our world our society consists of different people of different gender different um, ethnicity um, different cognitive and linguistic you know um, capabilities yep. sexual orientations age all of that yep. so does your workplace does your company reflect that so mm-hmm. for example if your company is full of men or your leadership team is full of men yep. white men you know that's not diverse. If your yep. workforce is full of people between, you know, um, 22 to 35, you know, mm-hmm. and nothing outside of it, it's probably an issue long term when you yep. don't have that diversity. And inclusion really is how, so how we talk about it is diversity is about having a seat at the table, right? Mm-hmm. Making sure that people sitting on the, around the table are diverse. Inclusion is when people around the table can all have a voice. Mm-hmm. Inclusion is when people can all be heard. So it's not just about having representations, but it's about having their voices heard. How do we create that space? And that's inclusion. So that's about understanding, one, is overcoming those unconscious biases, bring awareness to that. And two, I think it's about um, really understanding that we don't have to be the same, you know, for us to develop empathy. It's actually embracing and celebrating differences. Yes, it, that's so interesting as well because, you know, uh, I started like in business some time ago now. In the beginning, I was like, why do I have to get everybody t- to buy into things? You know, it's so frustrating. <laughs> I know that's the path, right? Yeah. But in time, I realized that there's something to the positive uh, friction mm. that happens yeah. there that there's people who all agree in terms of the outcome. Mm but on actually how to get there. Mm. And I think if people are passionate about it mm. and there can be a productive, um, I guess, discussion, it actually improves things overall. It's 100%. just not easy. Mm. It's mm. just hard in between because you have to go uh, back and forth and be heard mm. and have some harder conversations around, you know, trying to solve specific issues. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a hard part of, the diversity and inclusion yes. part is that it 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 increases complexity of just getting stuff done sometimes, right? Uh, sometimes, yes, but I think there's complexity regardless, you know. Mm. Um, and I think that's the thing about having diversity is because that actually makes better decisions. You know, there's yeah. the affinity bias, which is you know people tend to hire and work and like people who are similar to ourselves, but 
people who are similar to ourselves means that we solve problems the same way, we approach challenges the same way, our risk appetite is the same, you know. Yeah. And when you have a business that's quite homogenous, that is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. So, which leads to you know the example that you asked me to share. So, yes. um, for example, you know when I was in the Silicon Valley, you know IBM actually shared that um, when the um, you know the automatic water tap is yeah. um, invented and created. Um, Black um, Americans actually couldn't use the water tap. Why? Mm. Because the sensor was not programmed to pick up dark pigments. Yeah. So that's like what, like a good thirty-five percent of your population mm. unable to use your product. So okay. that's a huge problem for business. But what it shows is that they didn't have diversity, probably in the design team. Mm. You know, um, and and so inclusion by design, like you know, yeah. that was a clearly missing part. YouTube talks about when the YouTube platform was first created, about 10 to 15% of videos that are uploaded were upside down. They couldn't figure out why. And what they realized was that they forgot to actually take into consideration people who are left-handed, who films, you know, content, you know, upside down, you know, with the left hand, and therefore it was uploaded upside down. So things like that just goes to show that diversity and inclusion, having diverse view, having diverse representation is merely a representation of your market and your user. And unless you include those views and those needs, it's simply your business cannot succeed beyond yeah. a certain point. What, what I love, Sarah and, and Alex, I, I love the word inclusion because what we're saying is uh, the one of the basic fundamental needs that we have as human beings is a sense of belonging. And, and uh, inclusion came in because... Um, the only time we ever felt safe as human beings, if we were the same. So, so if, if you're like, your Chinese background? Uh, yeah, Taiwanese. Taiwanese. How close was that? Though? Yes, so good. There you go. <laughs> good job. Five points for me. So you would feel more like uh, growing up in, in, in a country town, you'd be for, feel more comfortable with Taiwanese people. But if you went overseas and you saw somebody else from Taiwan, you would feel safe straight away because there's uh, you recognise a, um, a similar person. That And your background, what's your background? Greek. Greek, Greek of course it is. Greek. Same thing. So you'd be you'd, you'd feel more comfortable with Greeks because you belong to that. You understand the culture. You don't have to I do actually it. feel more comfortable with Australians I if I go overseas and I hear the accent. I'm like, oh my God, oh, an Australian. Yeah, it's an Aussie. That, but that's what we do, right? I can't talk Greek that well. So I'm like, yes. please don't talk to me in Greek. Yeah, yeah. But, but what it is, it, it, it is built in a, to a degree. I, I think we're conditioned to be that way, but we need that sense of belonging. The thing I love about inclusion is now we're saying we all belong to the planet Earth. Can we all get along? Can we have a sense of belonging? Mm-hmm. Where we're all the same, we're all equal, and, and we've just got to get along as simple as that. So we're not divided by borders anymore. Yeah. We're, Yeah, exactly. And I think for businesses as well, you know, we get together because we are collectively trying to solve a problem. Mm. Collectively, you know, that's a a web profit. You know, we are trying to um, grow the business, serve our client, you know. So we need to come together. And um, unless we have a diverse team representing diverse view, Mm. okay, we can't service our clients the best possible. So it's actually, it's just a very clear business case there. Um, And I think that's why I really want to always encourage people to think um, about diversity and inclusion beyond like a HR, nice to have, like a international women's day sort of topic. But in fact, it's good business practice. Unless you have it, your business cannot grow. Makes sense for the organizations that are larger. What do you do if you're a small company, yeah? Like, and you've got, uh, I say, for example, um, a couple of staff mm. or four staff, you know, how do you start 
to think about there, you know, like, like how do you, you know, start to get the same asset benefits, you know, because it's almost easier for larger organizations in some ways because of the size of their staff. But if you're smaller, I think you can hide it better in a larger organization, to be honest. Mm. You can hide it better, but there's also like a lot more things which you can do to change, right? If you're smaller, you don't have that many staff. So then how do you make sure that you get parts in? Like, is there some some hints, some tips or something like that? And I think the first part is being aware of it. So I'll use, you know, our business as an example. You know, we're Mm. relatively small um, and um, so, you know, we're not at a sort of, you know, 200, 300, you know, mark. We've got about 12 staff, you know, yep. around um, the different, the, around the region. And But you you're know, dealing with small companies, Sarah, like Adidas and what was the <laughs> other? <laughs> hey, but you know what? That just goes to show that it's about diversity because big companies yeah. need smaller, lean, agile yeah. startup entrepreneurial organizations to yeah. actually service them. Yeah. You know, so yeah. once again, you're seeing that diversity and that yeah. complementary element Um, but I think you know with small businesses sometimes actually it's easier for us because once the leader makes that decision Mm. it goes all the way you know whereas big big businesses we actually find that change management piece is quite hard you might have the CEO who really buys in and the board is like totally bought into it but you get what we call the frozen middle which is that middle management people who just are stuck in their old way of doing things so I actually think um Businesses have different challenges, that's yeah, all. Sure. Smaller yeah. businesses, sure, you know, it's harder for us. You know, we actually struggle to actually find male employees. Yep. So we've had to go very intentional in how we hire, you know, how yep. we position, you know, our brand in order to attract the male talent. But once again, it's about being aware, being intentional, because that's the thing about unconscious bias. If we're not intentional and deliberate in our effort in addressing, adjusting the way we do things, unconscious bias will just always lead us to a place of bias. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's how, so how, do, how do we, with an unconscious bias, an unconscious conscious bias is going to be a pattern. Over time. So, so it can be a whole lifetime. So now what we're asking to do is we're asking people to, to get rid of a pattern and replace it with a new pattern, mm-hmm. right? So at the Dream Collective, how do you actually go about that? Because let's say, you know, that frozen middle management mm-hmm. bit, that, that's the bit that's stuck. How do, you, how do you, A, give them awareness so it comes into their conscious realm? And then how do you give them the tools to actually pick up when they're falling into an old pattern so they can actually pick it up and then adjust on the fly? Yeah. So it comes down to two things. So that's how we actually work with businesses as well. Mm-hmm. So they client that's exactly the brief that client would give to us, going, yep. Hey, we've got this frozen middle, we've got this DNI problem, yep. what do we do? So usually as a first instance, you know, we go in and sort of understand where we're seeing the gap, mm-hmm. um, get a sense of where people's maturity and understanding around DNI are, right? Yep. So, so almost understand where we sit so we know where and how far we can go. But usually, you know, through, you know, we do sort of workshops um, and sort of um, focus groups and what we call immersive learnings where yep. we actually get people together um, to create a safe space for them to ask questions. Because that's the other thing. I think, you know, a lot of times men don't feel they can ask questions, mm. you know, around diversity inclusion you know, if I question anything, does that make me sexist? You know? Oh, really? Yes, yes. Wow. So I think that psychological safety yep. around, you know, even just asking questions, you know, yep. um, understanding, okay, why are we paying so much attention on women leadership? Like, why? You know? And yep. we need to actually make sure that we have an environment where people are comfortable asking those questions. Yep. So a lot of times, those are the first step when we go into the 
organization. We get people together, um, explain, you know, run some unconscious biases training workshops, mm-hmm. or actually, you know, like the Japanese client I was talking talking about, yep. where we actually get their leadership together, management, um, taking everybody on the same journey, understanding yeah. where we are and where we want to go tomorrow, and why diversity and inclusion. You know, share those case studies and example with them to open up the conversation, and then it's about so that's like the cultural piece, yeah. and then we need to make sure the process reflects accordingly. So. Mm-hmm. We then help clients um, work on what we call sort of like a five pillar process. Yeah, I'm looking at hiring, training, promoting, evaluating, and scheduling. So mm-hmm. that flexible work and looking at those five pillars of your work life cycle mm-hmm. to make sure that all these pillars are addressed and we yep. remove any biases um, and making sure that those five pillars that actually basically covers all the life cycles in your organization to make sure that they can help you build a diverse and inclusive team. Just go through those five pillars again for me. So hiring. Yep. So this is around, you know, the job ads, you know, is that inclusive? Hiring. Yeah, exactly we, what you're doing, Alex. Yeah. yeah. Process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Process, yeah. Hiring. Yep. And also, you know, on the interview panel, you know, do we have representation? on the interview panel. So that's hiring. Sure. So training is, for example, unconscious biases. Are people getting the kind of training they need to be better managers, to yep. build inclusive team? And also access um, to trainings, you know? For example, yep. um, high-performing, high-potential people, usually are the ones that's more outspoken, you know? Yeah, um, sure. Are you overlooking certain demographics of people because they don't put their hands up yep. you know, themselves? So training and then uh evaluating so that's around you know performance evaluation bias removing those making sure there's very um strategic and systematic you know um processes in place that helps you remove biases so is there more 360 de- degree sort of peer reviews going around to actually do that or, or what's the tools it's that are not used so around much there? a 360 is more around ev- making sure the different metrics um, and the different yep. um, evaluation pillars are fair. So, for example, yep. potential versus uh, experience. Okay, yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Are we addressing mm-hmm. both on this evaluation template or are sure. we just going, leaving a little bit blue sky, you know, give me your evaluation of Alex rather than... Now? No, don't give. <laughs> no. I, I think Alex Please is don't fantastic. Give it. He's, don't, he's, uh, don't do yeah. it. That's for you later. Know, and that's when... You can cut this part. <laughs> <laughs> and when we have an ambiguity like that, that's yes. when we leave room for biases, you know. So yep. rather than just, hey, give your evaluation of Alex, we actually go, hey, give your evaluation on Alex based on his performance and his past track record performance for the last 12 months yep. versus give me an evaluation of Alex's potential. Where do you think he can go in the past 12 months? I love that because that's a totally different mindset altogether. That's right. And, and you're going back to as well. And, and what I like you do, what you do really well, Sarah, is, is that you're, especially the one in Japan, and you know, I know you do this globally, but the way you actually introduce the subject matter is, is you put them out there and you go, this is the goal. This is what we're trying to obtain here. Mm-hmm. So let's have a look at the roadmap of how we get there, opposed to saying, this is where the issue is, and then trying to shift them into the future. Exactly. Where you shift them into the future straight away, and, and something like this will going, well, where do you see this person in the future? Now, that's totally mm. different, because in a present moment, mm. if you've got, I don't know, ill feelings, or you're upset, or you're having a bad day at the office, or whatever, your judgment's going to be really skewed. Mm. I mean, like you, you would have done this as well in the past, but then you start to future pace yourself and start to go, 
oh, I can, I can see the good in this person. Mm. Mm. And it's opening up that and it's getting rid of that that bias that you may have about that person That's straight right. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the um, fourth one is promotion, so promoting. So yep. that's um, really looking at are we promoting a certain type of people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in performance measurement and promotion reviews, sometimes that can be hugely biased. You know, it's about whoever that speaks the loudest, you know, um, yeah, yeah. whoever that talks about their performance the most and yep. et cetera. So once again, it's about, you know, are we promoting people in a very holistic way? You know, um, if they are a great team player, but not necessarily like, you know, sh- out there yep. shouting to the executive team about their individual contribution all the time, yep. you know, are we overlooking that group of people? What about, how do you deal with this, Sarah? It's, um, and Alex, you, you might have, have this come up as well where let's say a female gets promoted within an organisation and there's a possibility, there's a possibility where people go, the only reason she got promoted was because she's a female, mm. right? With, with the current climate that we've mm. got at the moment. How, how, would you, how would you tackle something like that? Yeah, so that happens a lot, right? Um, yeah. So I think sometimes we need to make it a less of a divisive thing. Okay, mm-hmm. firstly, no business in their right mind would simply promote someone because of their gender. Sure. Like, yeah, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah, I was better to just um, to jump on that point as well. I think um, it's really hard to find two people that are the same in general, you know? Like it's hard to find that person, that person, and say, well, yeah. they were exactly the same, and so therefore that person actually um, c- kind of had the advantage, right? But yeah. that's something I've kind of struggled with, actually understanding. You know, yeah. so, so I understand the unconscious bias part, but it's more I think it does come back to the point around um, – um, just making the environment open mm. to both. Mm. And like, yeah. I think you probably have a lot more experience in more kind of traditional established organisations that potentially have that kind of thinking mm-hmm. that happens there. I mean, yeah, we don't experience that much here because there's no two people the same. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But that's a real challenge, you know, for yeah. businesses. And, you know, we hear, you know, men say that a lot, you know, does she, yeah. or sometimes women doubt themselves, go, oh my God, did I actually get this role because I'm a woman? Really? Yeah, that, that all, actually all happens. the time. All, yeah, all that's the a time. common thing. Common thing. Okay, so we're insulated here. No, I, 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 think. I actually, one of my clients got um, employee of the Australasia Asian region, right? Great award, uh, leader of the year, blah, blah. And she actually had doubt on why she received that. And yeah. she's just thinking, is it because I was only a female, this, that? And, and, and what she does is absolutely amazing. She, yeah. Her work is, I'm not going to go into details, but, yeah. you know, it, but you know it was really, Elon Musk-like. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That's the way I put it. Yeah. I know, but you know what's really interesting is that I've never heard a man say that. Yeah. Hey, I only got this job because I'm a man. You know, yeah. I've got only got this job because hey, I played basketball, I played rugby with the hiring manager. Oh, which actually, Sarah, that's you know such what? a good point. I know it yeah. happens all the time, but no yeah. man ever says, "Oh, I only got that job because we went to the same high school." Yeah. They own it. <laughs> they step into it and they go, "You know what? Hey, I deserve this role." Yeah. So I would say that they I, justify it, right? They go, Abs- yeah, "Absolutely, of course, of course, we used to play footy together." I know it's so got nothing to do with it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. it has actually, in fact, everything to do with it. Yeah, but, yeah. So I would say, like, one thing is like, no business actually in their right mind would actually just promote someone because they're female. Yep. There needs to be a certain level of performance or potential to yep. show for. So. I think just everybody just chill out, understand that that yeah. is what happens, okay? But even in the unlikely case that a woman gets promoted just because it's women, yep. I think we need to understand that, you know what? Like in order sometimes to restore balance into a team, that's what's required. So for mm-hmm. example, if you ask me, for the next employee that comes through my organization, mm. would if 
all else being equal, which already is an unlikely event, okay, mm. but all else being equal, I would actually prefer the men because right now for our organization, we need a men. You, you need know? more diversity. We need more team. diversity. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually nothing wrong. So similarly, if you go, hey, we've got a really young cohort in our workforce and we would really need more sort of maturity or like more seasoned professionals yep. and you prefer that over the next batch of your employee intake there's nothing wrong with that yeah. in order to create a, the right dynamic there'll be seasonalities in and out so even if that is the case yep. which is unlikely but even if that's the case I just want to reiterate and emphasize that it's fine. That's okay. Yeah, cool. Because that sometimes is what's required, what needs to happen in order to build a diverse and inclusive workforce. Give me a good example of somebody who you know, a role model of yours, has actually done that, had that whole process. Um, Jane Huxley, I don't mm. know if you know of her, but she was the managing director for Spotify, yeah. um, who's actually relocated to London um, to head um, the Spotify EMEA market. Yeah. And um, her experience is not quite the same, but what she really shared from her experience was never take things personally. Yeah. And that's the good and the bad and the ugly, right? Yeah. So I think that relates to that a little bit in a sense that don't take things personally. Sarah's got this thing, okay, how, how did you become successful? How you, she goes, you just got to ask for stuff. And I'm mm. like, what do you mean? Yes. <laughs> you just got to ask for it. Yes, yeah, so you want to expand on that a little bit? No, yeah. no, no. Like I was going to ask you mm. the question on, you know, because actually, sorry, like I will expand on it just a little bit. Like I remember <laughs> 20 years ago, I first started like this whole kind of self-improvement path and mm. I heard Brian Tracy say, the world belongs to the people that ask. Yes. And so just ask, you yeah. know, and so what's like 100%. the experience so, been uh, yeah, for you? Exactly. So people always talk about how, you know, you don't get what you deserve in this world. You get what you ask for. Yep. And I really believe in that. And I think, you know, often, you know, I get people ask us that, hey, how did you manage to turn a, you know, business, you know, mm -hmm. that was a personal passion project into a million dollar business now operating globally. And um, they go, hey, how did you get the clients, you know, get the likes of the Google, the Adidas and, you know, the people on your, um, you know, clients on your program. And I said, you know what, you just ask. You just ask. And I know it sounds- I mean, so you must ask pretty well if you get like the editors and the Googles and stuff. I mean, I ask for stuff for yes, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't asked Google. Yeah. But yeah. I'll say if, uh, using the book I published as an example, right? Yeah. So the book was actually, the, the latest book is called The World We See. And it's a um, collection of um, career stories and success stories mm -hmm. of um, 30 of Australia's top business leaders. Right. And so, you know, I featured, you know, the manage, the CEO of, you know, Cotton On, the CEO of Country Road um, and the, you know, uh, managing director for Microsoft at the time, et cetera. Mm. And people always ask me, how did you get them to contribute to your book? And yeah. I said, just ask. Yep. And, you know, I remember I was reading it in Fly Magazine. I read that, you know, the CEO of Jetstar at the time was yep. um, a female, Jane um, um, Jen Herlicker. And I just thought, hey, you know what? It would be so good to have her in the book. I wrote, to, I reached yeah. out to her on LinkedIn. Yeah. I had a short brief, you know, two sentence, you know, overview of the project that we're doing um, and 
reached out to her, and within the same day, she replied and said, "Yeah, fantastic, love the idea. Get in touch with my um, office and see how we can make it happen." No, no, too, too no, easy. no, it's too easy. It's yeah. too easy. No, it's fascinating because on LinkedIn, <laughs> and this is a tip for everyone: most people yes. are trying to sell you something. That's right. It's the first day, yeah, and right. they're just saying, "Hey, we sell X, Y, Z. Can you please spend some money with us?" Right. That's right. And so you probably just kind of offered her something that was of value. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and what that's the that? part that stands yeah. out. It's like, oh, yeah. this is something that I'm interested in. Yes. I can give back in a way. You that's know? right. And I think also- What like was in it for them? So in it for them, there's a lot actually. So one That was all in two paragraphs. Uh-huh. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's exactly about, I think what I was going to say is finding the right target is yeah. half of your job done. So yeah. sometimes you ask and you don't get, it's because you're asking the wrong people. Oh, okay. Right. So just ask. It's not just a stupid just ask. It's an mm-hmm. informed, mm-hmm. wise, intelligent ask. Yep. Firstly, you're asking the right people, and that takes some pre-qualifying. So, for example, in the interview that she did, I read the article, realized that, hey, women in leadership is a huge thing for her. Yep. Yeah. So, one, firstly, that value alignment tick. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then also she's trying to actually make, you know, some adjustments and changes, you know, within their organization. So she's yeah. actually now active in that space, tick, yeah. for example. So cool. you need to actually pre qualify. So ask the right person mm-hmm. and then ask for the right thing, you know, yeah. like to your point about the LinkedIn thing, we get that all the time. I don't know you. Am I likely to spend half a million with you? <laughs> Probably not. Hey, but I don't know you, but, you know, would I be open to maybe do an interview? Mm. with you or will I be able to jump on a call with you yeah that's probably more likely than taking the time when I don't know you a five minute call is probably an easier yes than spending half a million you know giving you my software like you know like changeover project so you're not asking for business you're actually asking to connect no, so I'm, I am asking for business. You yeah. are, but, but in am, a roundabout, yeah. but, but let's connect first and see if we get along. Correct, correct. Yeah, so the motive is, because if you're asking for business, exactly what you're saying, Alex, yeah. you go, here's this bit of software, give me half a million bucks, that's asking for business. Yeah. But the good old, hey, I just want to have a chat to you about something. Mm-hmm. I just want to get to know you better, see if I can connect with you, if I can have a relationship with you, and then see if we can help one another out, really. Absolutely, yeah. Now, there's so, a different motive there straight that's away. That's right, and that's the thing. It's about value creation and value adding. You're not just yep. asking people to give you, to hand your money, to hand your business. Yep. And the thing is, you got to earn it and you got to show them that you're deserving of that business. And I think yep. that sense of entitlement is so important, you know, for us to just get rid of that, mm. hey, I'm reaching out to you, so oh, I deserve yeah. your business. You know, I think it's really about when it comes to just ask, it's actually about asking how you can help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to be transparent. And what I feel um, really give people comfort is that, hey, let's have a quick chat. We may or may not be the right solution for you, but I would just be keen for feedback and support. And I think that's when, when you ask for feedback and input, often it leads to business. But when yeah. you ask for business, you only get feedback. Yes. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's so interesting because there's certainly ways where um, you can approach things and add value straight away, mm. you know, and I think that's where yeah. people fail. Or the worst one is that they have a template that they use a thousand mm. times mm-hmm. and they wonder why yeah. it doesn't work, you yes. know, and so it's really frustrating. But I also think there's something around your expectation mm. and so it's good to ask for everything mm. but just be okay to 
if someone says no. Yes. You know, and I think some people get yeah. upset if they don't actually have a response. And yes. it's like, my God, I saw like you read my post or something like that. That's right. But you didn't respond to me. Mm. Blocked. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Because, yeah. because it comes back to your sense of entitlement yeah. thing, right? Like, That's I right. think people ask. Yeah. But they think that they actually will deserve to get something back, and I think mm-hmm. it's really important to yeah. to think of the other p- p- person. That's right, and to yeah. put yourself like in their shoes, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent, yeah. Yeah, here you go. You'll like this stat, Alex. This one's for you. In the realm of stand-up comedy, majority of audiences are women, seventy-five percent, and of that, uh, really? yeah, and of the hundred percent of tickets purchased, if it's a couple. 99% of the times the females made the decision to see what comedian it is, mm. who they're going to see and where it's at. I bought two tickets in the last t- two weeks <laughs> to a comedy show. So maybe I'm on the more... On the one wait, 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 wait. Can, can I just say, did you ask your partner if she wants to go to comedy? Yes. Yeah. Of course. You asked. <laughs> what what am pro- I? What am I? You're going to comedy? Like, do you like comedy? Yeah, like... I know, I love it. Sarah, you are a really inspirational woman. You're an inspirational human being. Um, and if you were going to say anything to any any aspiring female out there in the corporate world or even in their own business, what, what bit of advice would you give them right now? I think the sort of probably one last sort of like parting sort of comment that I will leave for everyone who might be listening to this, might be tuning in, is um, like stay curious and stay hungry. And I think, you know, as cliche as it might sound, um, that's actually been, I think I attribute a lot of my career success to that. I think stay curious in, in, in terms of like really being curious about um, how you can create value, how you can add value. And when you stay curious about understanding people's problem, right? So not just pushing what you're going to sell to other people, but really staying curious and open and understanding people's problem. And as a result, business will come. And I think stay hungry is that I see so many people who tell me that they want to be successful, but they are not willing to make the sacrifice necessary to be successful. And I think that's a really key thing for us to remember is that, you know, people see success as the wave, but there's all that undercurrent, you know, the hard work and everything. And I think, you know, so be clear about not only what you want, but be clear and be prepared on what you're going to give in exchange for that. So stay curious and stay hungry. Unless you're actually hungry for it, you won't get there. Yeah, absolutely. And last question for you. You're going to have a dinner party. You can only invite one person. They can be alive or they can be dead. Who would you invite and why? Amol Clooney. Really? Why? Oh, she's my like girl crush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful, intelligent, strong ethics. Just, oh gosh, you name it, she's got it. I love it. Sarah, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today. And everybody can get in touch with you at the Dream Collective. They can email your organisation. Yes, How else can they get in touch with you? Uh, so, yeah, email um, and website, um, dreamcollective.com.au would be the best place um, to find us. And I can, you know, reach out to myself on LinkedIn. Yep. Sarah Liu, there's like a million Sarah Liu's out there. But Sarah Liu, the Dream Collective, I'm really ho- really open and really happy to um to stay in touch. And if you yeah, like and if you're going to ask her something, make sure there's some value there for that's her. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz I know there's going to be a thousand people that are going to say, "I'm going to go ask her. She said it's fine to ask." Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that that I would like to promote, I don't know if you want to promote it, but you was a public speaker. Mm, yes. Fantastic. You're very inspirational, you're very insightful. Um there's there's got to be organizations out there who'd want to hire you as a public speaker. Would you be open to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I speak, you know, quite frequently as well mm. around the world. 
on different forums. Um, speak around diversity and inclusion, yep. um, women leadership, but also around innovation because inclusion is such a key to unlock innovation. Um, yep. You know, being a you know successful startup, you know, founder um, and managing director as well. I speak around um, high growth businesses, yep. innovation, new ventures, um, and sort of entrepreneurial thinking in the new world. So yeah. Well, that's a whole other podcast as I well. Know, I was Gee, just going, can was we like, just start the whole podcast again? <laughs> started there. Sarah, <laughs> thank great. you so much. You've been thank absolutely you. awesome. It's, it's been an absolute honour to have you on here today. Thank, thank you, you so yeah. much, Tony. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, this thank has you been for having awesome. me. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast.